So let's jump right in. I'm going to start with um, verses 1 through 13 of Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, Am I saying that right, Chaldeans, or is it Chaldeans? Chaldeans? All right. DJ went and had a baby, and I couldn't ask him this morning how to pronounce it because he's like a scholar. <laughs> so asking Carrie, I'm like, how do I say it? So, Chaldeans, Chaldeans, there we go. The word for me is firm, and if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, <laughs> maybe he wasn't serious, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. And if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know what you can show me. I can, then I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean or Chaldean or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is too difficult, <coughs> and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was very angry, sorry, was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. <laughs> Tough one. So, do you ever have uh, it happen to you where something is on your mind? right before you go to bed, or maybe you're working late into the night, you know, before you fall asleep, or you watch a movie or a show, and then you fall asleep, or even um, reading a book, and then you fall asleep, and you begin to dream about that, that happened pretty much to everybody, right? Like, what you're, that's why they, um, the experts say, you want to ease yourself into sleep, um, because whatever you do before you go to bed is going to impact your sleep. Um, so what we have here is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's having these dreams. And we'll see in Daniel 2.29, Daniel, when he interprets the dream to the king, says, To you, O king, this is Daniel speaking, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. So we get this little insight that the king, prior to falling asleep, was thinking about future things. What, I, what is going to happen in the future with my kingdom and my reign and my possessions and my power? And then because of that, he drifts into sleep and he begins to dream about it. And 
Uh, I'm not going to read all of Daniel chapter 2 because the whole sermon time would just be taken to read that. But we see that he has this dream about this big statue. What I really find interesting about this is that here's a man that most likely had more than any other man that lived as far as possessions and power. Yet he's still unsatisfied. He's laying in bed at night. He could have anything he wants. And we see, you know, he can even um, massacre large amounts of people at his command. Strength and power and wealth and honor and glory and everything that this world has to offer. Yet he lays in bed and he's still unsatisfied. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I think just in this beginning part here, this just this little thing that we can pull out from here is that Nebuchadnezzar and Solomon were men, were, I was about to say men just like us, but we're men and women here, but human beings created by God just like us. I think it's sometimes easy to look, and I don't know if it's like this with you, but every time I read these stories, I think of Veggie Tales. Anybody else have that? <laughs> it's like stuck in my head. But David and Solomon and Paul and Nebuchadnezzar and Moses and Pharaoh. Human beings created by God just like us. And when you're created by God, the only thing that can satisfy you is God. And we see this with him. None of us will ever achieve what Nebuchadnezzar had in this lifetime. Thankfully, the systems that are put in place make it impossible, for the most part, unless you live in North Korea, for you to gain this sort of power. I'm also reminded of um, Tom Brady when he was being interviewed and asked, which one is your favorite Super Bowl? And what was his response? The next one. When Rockefeller was asked how much would be enough, his response was, Another million. Chasing after the wind, like Solomon says. And I think we need to look at examples like Nebuchadnezzar and Solomon, and even modern-day examples like a Tom Brady. You know, these people that seemingly have everything that the world has to offer, and when asked, you know, what will satisfy you, they just say a little bit more, a little bit more. But it's a chasing after the wind. Because we're created by God. And the only thing that can truly satisfy all those desires is God. And I don't, I actually, um, I shared with uh, Mike and, and Carrie before the service. This is the first, I've preached here probably 10 or so times. And this is the first time leading up to preaching that as much as I possibly could, um, I prayed for each one of you by name. And if I don't know your name, I prayed for you by face. 
Lord, bless that person. Because as I'm reading through this, you know, I can think of the things in my life that I'm chasing after that are that carrot dangling in front of me or chasing after the wind, trying to grasp, grasp something that will not satisfy. But for you, I don't know, but we all have it. None of us are 100% following after God. We're, we're chasing the wind in a lot of areas in our life. For some of us, it's status, acceptance, happiness, comfort, pleasure, career advancement, perfection, image, chasing after the wind. A man that had absolutely everything, yet he was still not satisfied. He couldn't look to what he had and be satisfied, so he started looking to the future. How do I protect what I have? What is going to happen with what I have? Chasing after the wind. And then he um, exerts his, his power. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 5, we see him say, If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid ruins. And then in 2.13, because of this, the king was angry and furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. He's not getting what he wants, so he exerts his power and authority. So verse 13 a decree went out. The wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested that the king appoint him time. So we saw from chapter 1 that Daniel, from what Mike uh, taught last week, Daniel had um, gained authority within this kingdom that he had access to the king. So Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested that the king appoint him time, that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, and there's just so much depth to this prayer of praise, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light that dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Nebuchadnezzar um, has power, and he exerts his power through saying uh, he wants all the wise men um, to be destroyed. Now, this, this is a tough thing um, to grapple with. The fact that this power that he had, this earthly power and authority, was given to him by God. 
And even when Daniel comes before Nebuchadnezzar, he proclaims the same thing and says, all of this power that you have, Nebuchadnezzar, has been given to you by God. 2.21 in Daniel's prayer of praise says, he removes kings and sets up kings. God does that. John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, so powerful, yet tough to grapple with. Jesus is talking to Pilate, and it says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So God gave Pilate authority. Romans 13, Paul says, and this is under the reign of Nero, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Is it just me, or is that hard to grapple with a little bit? So, you, you know, I'm thinking through history, and I... Of course, a lot of us in somewhat modern history, our mind goes to Hitler. And thinking to myself, okay, so um, no authority exists unless instituted by God. And Jesus says, you know, you would not have authority over me unless it was given to you from above. And I look at, you know, I look at that, and the Bible is clear that authority is only given uh, to good and evil people. It's only given to them by God. And so I look at some of you know, the terrible leaders, and think to myself, God, why, why would you give somebody like that so much power? I even look towards, you know, in history, leaders of the church um, that are given so much power in the name of Jesus. I had an art, art history professor in college, um, knew more about church history in the Bible than anybody, well, then I met Josh Bitework, but prior to Josh Bitework, he knew more about church history in the Bible than anybody that I knew. And it was church history that made him an atheist. Which is, it's a hard thing to, you know, think about. And I, and I couldn't really debate with him because he knew more than I did when I was in college. We ended up becoming good friends and it, it wasn't like a combative relationship. He actually had more influence over me than almost anybody that I've known because he would pose these questions to me, and then as a Christian, I had to go then and, like, dig into church history and to texts and stuff like that so I could even just keep up with him. But I don't know about for you, but for me, it's, it's challenging to think, you know, evil men, and in some cases women, but mostly if we look through history, evil men have been given so much power and authority and have done horrendous things. And I look at that and say, God, why would you give that person so much power? And to be honest, I don't know the answer. I know with Nebuchadnezzar, it was judgment upon Israel. You know, we learn that from the Bible, but you look at other people and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why Hitler had the power that he had. But I do know, number one, is that no matter how much earthly power somebody has, we should not fear it. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There should be no fear when we follow after Christ. No president, no king, no dictator, no terrorist, and even on a smaller level, no, no boss, no person within our family. You know, sometimes we can feel helpless and fear and worry about the future of our lives and our country and our world and like, where is everything going? But Jesus said to us, do not be afraid. The worst that they can do, which seems pretty bad, is they could kill the body. But in eternity, that, that's no big deal as compared to our soul. So we should not fear. And then the other thing, and we can see this throughout time, is their, their day will pass. Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. We don't know the answer to why God gives authority to certain people and, and they abuse it and do so much harm. But one thing I do know is we should not fear and the other thing is their, their time will come. Their day will pass. God has won through Jesus Christ, and we can take comfort in that. So power. And then the other thing that is kind of an overarching theme, there's power in, in Daniel chapter 2, and then there's this kind of overarching theme of wisdom. So Nebuchadnezzar has power but lacks wisdom. Um, and then on the wisdom side, Daniel in his prayer says, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. Imagine the scene here. And Carrie and I were talking a little bit about this this week. Imagine that. Like, his life is on the line. We read this and sometimes glance over it or, or don't put ourselves in the scene as much. But imagine Daniel coming to his friends and saying, Hey, guys, so the king had a dream, and if we don't tell him this dream and interpret it, he's going to cut all of our limbs off and burn down our homes. It's probably a little more urgent than that. Could you imagine the fervency of prayer that must have happened that evening with them? And I don't think any of us have ever been in this situation, but... You, you know probably when, you know, those things come that are, that are difficult and unexplainable and, the, you know, the things that only God can fix and the fervency of that prayer. And this was another reason that I um, prayed for each of you um, by name. And if I forgot some of you, God prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you by name. But, you know, I know there are things... Um, in our lives that are troubling us, the unknown, the uncertainty. But we have a God in heaven that knows. You know, so I, I look at um, little Abby, and she's eight years old, and she's starting to wrestle through um, who is God, do I believe, don't I believe? Um, and I look at Oliver, and I look at Ivy, and 
you know, as a parent, you want them to follow after the Lord, and I want them to make good choices. And I don't know what's going on in their mind and their heart, but I can take comfort in the fact that I have a God that does. Some of us are dealing um, maybe with kids or friends or relatives or family members that are struggling um, with addiction or other serious issues or health problems. Some of us are struggling um, within relationships with our spouses. And we don't know what's going on in the head of that spouse. You know, so many things that are unknown. But the amazing thing is, and um, I don't know if I shared this the last time I was up here, but something that I've been doing that I've been a Christian for 17 years. And starting in December, uh, in 17 years, it's the first time that I've consistently gotten up every morning and spend a half hour to an hour in prayer with God. My relationship for so long, to be completely honest, was so just like cerebral. What I knew about God, yet I really didn't trust God. And over the past, what is that, like five months in the quiet of the morning, just sitting there and spending time with my father. And it has been absolutely incredible. Life changing. Because I'm sitting there with the God of the universe that holds everything in the palm of his hand, and I present stuff before him, and I see him answer. He knows what's going on in the depths of all of us, in the depths of the people that we interact with, in the depths of our jobs, in our world, in our families. He's in control of it all, and we have access to that God. The Bible says if any of us lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously. For the first time in 17 years, I'm tasting and I'm seeing that God is good and he's there. I've just had, I had to, it's going to sound so silly, but I had to come to the realization that sleep is not that important. I was up, you know, I photographed a wedding yesterday and I was up close to midnight, which for some of you that's like, five o'clock in the afternoon for others that's like 3 a.m and usually i would think in my head i'm preaching a sermon tomorrow i need a good night's sleep but right before i went to bed i said god whenever you open my eyes i want to get up because i trust you more than i trust sleep six months ago that wouldn't be the case thankfully he i usually get up at six he let me sleep into 6 45 so i was good but we have access to that god but it's in the still and the quiet that we find him. And I actually want to take um, a moment right in the midst of the sermon uh, just to practice that. To collectively as a group just be silent. And I'm going to read um, two scriptures that talk about the wisdom of God. And your mind may drift. You may fall asleep. It's only two verses. So... Hopefully you'll wake up once I start talking again. But Parker Ford, we have access to this God. And honestly, for so long, I doubted it. And I'm only seeing small glimpses. But what I'm seeing is just so powerful and so real. And 
you know, he's, he's the same God for all of us. He's just, he's waiting. He's just waiting for us to slow down and to say, you know, the busyness of life, the craziness of family, the demands of work, all of that sort of stuff is not as important as spending time with our Father. So Psalm 139. So I'm just going to ask you um, to just close your eyes. And I'm going to read nice and slow. And I, I just want you to meditate um, on, on these words being said from Psalm 139 and from Proverbs 2. And, and I, I just pray that during this like five minutes right here on a Sunday morning that in some small way God, God will speak to you. Uh, in the situation that you're in right now. So let's just close our eyes. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. My, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Proverbs 2. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. I, I want us to sit just for a, a little bit on that. I'm going to read it again and just repeat that in your mind. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I'm going to dwell on this for, for a little bit. For the Lord gives wisdom. wisdom. 
from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. you see in this room right now every heart soul spirit body mind meditating on on Psalm 31 or 139 this week Lord where talks about you know our rising and our sitting and our coming and our going and You perceive our thoughts from afar. Lord, everything that we are is in full view. And at times that can be scary, but the more that we get to know you, Lord, we realize that that's beautiful. Lord, that you know us full well. love us anyway. If our spouses or co-workers or parents or siblings or whomever or the stranger on the street or the person at the checkout if they knew us the way you know us than we know ourselves the bible says lord and you've loved them well we thank you for that and and we're in this room this morning there are potentially people that um, this is the first time that they've prayed in days weeks months maybe even years lord and um, we just pray that you you give us a little taste in this moment of your goodness, Lord, so that we will crave it, that you will satisfy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's not the end of the sermon. Um, Don't worry, 11.04. Wisdom and power belong to God, and we are his. Amen? The world offers a false wisdom and power. And it's been offered to us since the beginning of time. When the serpent was in the garden, he offered Eve wisdom and power. You will have the knowledge of God and be like God. Wisdom and power. But it's false. And we live in a society in the United States of America that's based on wisdom and and power. It's that that's how we are structured here in this country. Twelve, twelve grades and then college, master's, doctorate. Twenty, some people, thirty years of wisdom. And if I get that wisdom, I will get a good job. And if I get a good job, 
I can make more. And if I make more money, I will have a better life. If you just the simplicity of it. And as I was praying this morning, looking through this, you know, God just kind of placed on my mind that like we are structured as a society based on wisdom and power. The more wisdom I can gain. And then we might not use the word power, but wealth and power are are somewhat similar. You know, maybe it's not power over people, but wealth maybe will give me power over my life. And the more knowledge I can gain, the more power I can gain. And then the promise is the better my life will be. And it's mapped out for so many people. And for some people in this room, we're we're stuck in that system. And then we get to retirement and we've amassed hopefully enough wealth to then live this good life in retirement. But in the end, none of it satisfies And a lot of the way that we're structured is looking towards, like, the end of our life rather than living our life now. How many of you, like me, we live in tomorrow, we live in next week, we live to get through, and then once this happens, then then I will be there. But then we get there and we're like, ah, you know, you know the cycle, we're all stuck in it. If I can just get a little more wisdom... In this area, I will get that promotion, and I will get more wealth, and then it's just this, this cycle. It's a chasing after the wind. And you look at the people in the Bible, and for the most part, they were a bunch of um, misfits, and they were a bunch of people that failed, uh, that didn't have the wisdom and the power that was required. Daniel... He had a lot of wisdom, but he was too young, right? By this point in Daniel 2, it's projected that he's somewhat like 18, 17, 18 years old. Abraham, too old. Mary Magdalene, too worldly. Peter, an uneducated fisherman. David, too small. Mary, mother of God, an unwed teenager. Moses, not eloquent. And not only that, I think he was 80 when he came before Pharaoh and the ten plagues. You know, we look at the Bible and we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and it says that the weak will shame the strong. And as I think through that, I think we need to be on guard if we are smart and if we are wealthy, we need to be on guard. I just read a book by Richard Foster called The Freedom of Simplicity. And he talks about how the wealthy need to be careful. And the Bible talks about that. I think it's in um, Deuteronomy where Jesus says, or not Jesus, the Lord says, when you go into the land and you have these vineyards in this land that you did not cultivate and that you did not bring up, be sure that when you're there and you're comfortable that you do not forget the Lord your God. There is nothing wrong or sinful about knowledge, wealth, and power. But we need to be on guard. Jesus in the Gospels talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. He did not say that money was sin, but that it can be the root of sin. Because what happens is we get comfortable in our own strength, our own wealth, our own power, and then we become our own God. And even in positive ways... We can, if 
we amass wealth, we can even think, oh, in positive ways I can use this wealth, but it, even in those ways sometimes it's an exertion of worldly power. Just to give an example for that, I was over in um, Senegal back in 2012, 11, 12, do you remember? You wake on? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2012, um, I was over in Senegal, and I was taking, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> I love you. Uh, <laughs> I was over in Senegal, and I was seeing the work that World Vision was doing. Uh, the church I was a part of all at once sponsored 400 children with World Vision, so they allowed a small group of us from the church to go over and see the work that they were doing, and thankfully, I got to take photographs of what World Vision was doing, and they have these things called ADPs, Area Development Plans, and they're really big on using the local people to raise up that society. I asked them if I could do more photography for them, and they turned me down and said, no, we have people in Senegal that are doing photography for the Senegalese people. I think their max for somebody is you can only be in another country for two years if you're a foreigner. And the reason is because they want to bring up the area. And World Vision says they struggle all the time with people, well, the woman that we were walking around with at least said, World Vision struggles with people that are extremely wealthy, give big donations, and then want to come and see the work that's being done. And then while they're there, and it's all good intention, but while they're there, they're like, oh, they need a well, I'll pay for that. Oh, they need a school bill, I'll pay for that. And they come over, and with their wealth, with good intention, want to go and just do everything. And World Vision says, no, no, no. They say no to the money. They say, no, that this is not what it's all about. You can't come in with your mentality and fix it. That's not how it works. We want to raise up the society so that it's sustainable. And I think they're like a 12, 14-year, these area development plans, but that by the end of it, that community is self-sustaining by the people because they were raised up in it. It wasn't somebody coming over from the United States and fixing everything, and then a few years down the road, it's, it's bad again. It's let's have the people in the community raise up the community. So there's this temptation when we gain wisdom and we gain wealth um, that we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. So then it ends in Daniel chapter 2 with the interpretation of the dream. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I will read a little section here. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So this was written in, where's Mike Gensler? Is he here? 600 AD? Or BC? Right? Something like that. Mike did a really great explanation of uh, chapter one. I forgot my notebook, and I was like, oh, I want to steal all of his information. <laughs> but 600 BC, and some people actually want to place this book um, after Christ in, in the A.D. time period because of how specific it is with its prophecy um, and interpretation of prophecy. But it's believed that this was written like way back. And what we have here is the head of gold, so that's Babylon. And Daniel says that. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, they were finding um, in, in research, wanted to wrap everything in Babylon in gold. Like they had massive amounts of gold. So he was the head of gold. Then eventually, um, Babylon was overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. And they're known for their silver. So this was, Daniel was written prior to that. So they're the silver. And then the Medes and the Persians were overtaken by the Greeks. And the Greeks is the Bronze Age. And then the Greeks were conquered by the Romans, and the Romans are known for the Iron Age. And so here we have, in 600 B.C., this layout of human history. These big superpowers coming in, leading up to the time of Christ. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, it says, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron and clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Then jumping down to verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Can you see why people want to place this, the doubters, after Christ? I mean, how clear is this picture? It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall never stand, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The new kingdom, and this is where we should be greatly encouraged, has been established. We are living in it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Church, this morning, we are living in it. Have you heard kingdom now? Like, it's not kingdom later. Like, we are living in eternity right now as we sit here. And entrance into that kingdom is not dependent on our power or our wisdom or our upbringing or our wealth or our gender or our race or education, status, job title. Entrance into this kingdom is not dependent on any of that. We are on an equal playing field. The person to your right and to your left. The person at work above you and below you. And I struggle with this. My business, just to be honest, my business is doing well. And I have to constantly pray to be on guard as my business does well to then not look at other people as if they are less than. I'm constantly praying to God, like, Lord, if, like, the last thing that I want is to have this thriving business and then not have you. So whatever you don't want for me, please take it away. And that's hard to pray, but at the same time, like, I, I don't want, what, what does it say? You can gain the whole world, but then lose your soul. I do not want to be in that category. We are all equal in the eyes of God. And entrance into that kingdom was bought by the blood of Christ. 
Like, that's it. We're equal. Equal playing field. There's nobody above, nobody below. We are all walking this out together. I forget who said it, but it's like we're all starving just looking for a loaf of bread. Like, we're all in the same boat. And even when it's within good, good intentions, you know, when we reach out to somebody that is in need, it's not this, it's this. And we see Jesus exemplify that in the Gospels. Like the amount of power and authority that he had, yet he walks so humbly and graciously and patiently with those around him. Entrance was bought by the blood of Christ. And amen, we get to all enter in and all experience that. So I want to encourage us today, um, as we look at Daniel chapter 2, number one, to not fear those that have been placed in power, because they have no power over us if we're in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of God. Number two is everything is going to pass away, but the kingdom of God will live forever. And number three is there is nobody above us and nobody below us in this world. We are all created by God, and satisfaction is only found in him. And we need to humbly come before him. Because the more that we raise ourselves up, the worse we are. The last shall become first. Let's pray. Lord, as we sit in this room together, uh, we come from a variety of um, variety of backgrounds. Um, Lord, a variety of struggles are brought through these doors. Some things that are hidden, some things that are seen. Lord, but you know it all. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for Daniel's prayer in chapter 2. Lord, here's a man that um, was given the interpretation of the, dr the dream and with knowledge that wealth and status would be bestowed upon him. Yet when the, the dream was revealed, he didn't just run and tell Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, he, he ran to you in prayer, praising you, Lord, because you are the keeper of wisdom and you are the keeper of power. Lord, so this morning I just pray, pray earnestly, Lord, that each one of us, day by day, moment by moment, Lord, will taste and see that you are good because you are good and you are there. And there are a lot of us in this room that aren't seeing it. Lord, but you are right there. Let us slow down and see you. Reveal to us this day what we need to see, Lord. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that the level, the playing field was leveled, Lord, through the cross. Lord, we all just come before you, just asking for your presence in our lives. In your son's name we pray.